32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. My name is Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. We usually take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. But in these extraordinary times, we're responding to issues emerging from life within a global pandemic. Still. Like, we're still in it. Gas. Six months. Anyway, this week, we're talking about what the US presidential debate tells us about an election campaign that's already in the gutter. And we'll be joined by Catherine Sapone about her work on the campaign, the pursuit of civility in what is already an extraordinarily bad-tempered moment. That might be the understatement of the century, but look, we're going with it. Um, also an understatement of the century. Uh, thanks to Patreon pals who are on board and welcome to the new people. Um, I hate at the start of podcast when people talk about Patreon, so we're not going to do it. Check your cards to make sure you haven't gone off the grid and uh, give us some cash to keep making good, some good shit. And also part of that, the Sunday Soothe, we... It brings us joy. It soothes your mind. We've gotten so, such good feedback from people going, do you know what? It's actually worth uh, signing up for United Ireland just for that. Not maybe into our rants on, a, on the main app, but do enjoy maybe a little bit of perspective and a little bit of soothing and a little bit of light and love from your two favourite gals, Una and Andrea. <laughs> yeah. um, after that great ad, uh, it's time for the State of the Nation. Okay, first up, who'd have thought the leaving cert has ended up being a bit of a shit show? This is actually really serious. And I felt I was listening to Liveline on Wednesday and I was so sad for all of the people calling up, talking about the courses that they've missed and the issues with the results and all this kind of stuff. Um, but what has happened is, is there has been an er there was an error in the code, which was uh, the code used to the process used to calculate the grades. Um, Do you know what done? Got Sandra Bullock in. <laughs> I've hacked into the mainframe. We would have hacked into the mainframe and made sure there was no issues. However, they got a company uh, that were that did hack into the mainframe, and when you go to their website, it says there's a security issue with this website. <laughs> very um, basically what happened was um, as far as I can understand because I've been looking at different bits and bobs so the the way the junior cert grades were calculated um, there was an error with that so basically they were meant to kind of have this achievement profile uh, based on the core subjects which is Irish English maths and then you add the two strongest subjects to that but the error in the code meant that they actually added the students to weakest subjects um, to achieve their kind of achievement profile. That is a big F up. Um, there was also another uh, problem or mistake. Uh, so I think that they were meant to not include CSPE, which is civics basically for old people um, or so, you know, civic, social, political education. Um, what is that? Like life? Life, yeah. Life sure, 101 thing that people are marked on well they were actually meant to omit that from the um achievement profile but that was included in some cases so everyone did worse because they were worse at life no laughing matter but jesus so then there was also some other uh, there was like two errors in the leaving cert calculated grade system so um basically then the way it emerged was uh they actually knew about this last week and um, the Department of Education were looking into it, I would imagine, much like Sandra Bullock in Hacker, um, frantically typing. Cross between Sandra Bullock, also a bit of Mr. Robot. Um, some or when Kelly Rowland sent the uh, Excel doc and someone didn't text her back from it, even though she was like, I sent a text and it was an Excel doc that she sent. How are they meant to text back? Anyway. Who is this? Kelly Rowland from... Yeah, and she's like typing an SMS, and she's like, "I can't believe you never got back to me." And everyone's like, "Yeah, because it's an XL doc." Okay, this is this is a pop culture reference that is going really over my head. <laughs> um, but Alan Kelly, uh, leader leader of the Labour Party, um, actually raised it in the doll on Wednesday, and kaboom, shit, meat fan. 
Um, so it does mean that some students, very sadly, were wrongfully downgraded by up to 10 percentage points. Um, the way I feel about it is that I and I kind of had this issue from the start. Like I wrote obviously back in May that um there were going to be issues if you're kind of going down calculated grading uh avenues. Um and obviously I'm not the only person who who was saying that I think that we could kind of foresee these things. I do think though that the point system and the CAO system that basically administers the point system, it is based on supply and demand. And so when one kind of link in the chain breaks, it kind of screws up everything else because it's not necessarily just about people who are downgraded incorrectly, which is obviously very serious. But what about people who are upgraded incorrectly? Because then they would get access to courses that people who just had their correct marks marked correctly wouldn't have. So it, it is that weird thing where it's it's a system that has every part of it has so much impact on it. Like it's not just your grades that get you into whatever course you want. It's actually everybody's grades ha- and then how that impacts the points which are based on the number of places. So if there is an error that has screwed up all of the different marks, that's going to be real mad not to untie, I think. I have two thoughts. Yeah. Well, firstly, absolutely scarletron that the fact that uh, Alan Kelly was like, so did something happen? And then, yes, we're going to do a press conference of four. You know about this. Why are you not? Why are you responding? Be proactive. Here's the comms again. Get in front of the fucking story. Own it and do the right thing rather than let um, offers for college places go out when you know there's a shit show about to happen. One. Two. I feel now is a good time to talk about college isn't everything and that there's a lot to be said from going back to do your CPSE or whatever that thing is and learning about life and getting hands-on stuff and forging a career in a journey you may not have known about. If there's any students who listen to us, I think we're too old for students to care about us. Yeah. But I feel like if we could filter that message out, I really think that's an important message because yes, this is a fucking shit show, but it's a political shit show. And if you're the student, maybe namaste, you weren't meant to do the course that you should have done from this course. Are you literally doing a version of what's for you, Ambassia? Is that what is happening? <laughs> Just to give people a little suggestion of what happens on the Sunday Soothe, we take Instagram uh, sentences and give them meaning. I've just given it meaning. I'm glad I didn't get the course I was meant to do. I was meant to do psychology. Imagine me being a psychologist. I think you'd be an amazing psychologist. Absolutely not. I'd be bored off my absolute tits. Anyway, uh, uh, anyway there for the education. That's the leaving cert. And what a stress fest for young people who've already been screwed over so much. Um, young people, uh, these young people out there. Um, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry young for them. People are, young people are getting absolutely lashed out of it this week as well. Yeah. Because of all the Galway shenanigans. Yeah, we'll come back to that later. Um, other things in the state of the nation. Um, of course, I had to spend my Wednesday having my headspace and energy taken up with Fine Gael politicians attacking me. Um, this is a very self-serving uh, rant on the State of the Nation. Regina Doherty you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do- wrote a letter to the Irish Times uh, giving out about my, an article I wrote about that it was mean to cut the pup. Um, in her letter, she outlined all of the great things. That- Sorry, before you go on. It was mean to cut the pup. This is so like an episode of Mean Girls. And like, I've got a friend who do, who's only gotten into politics a little bit. And he's literally like, I can't get over how much better politics is than showbiz. He's like, it's like <laughs> that's going on. So you wrote an article going, actually, it's kind of scabby to take money off people when they're at their lowest. And then the minister writes a letter to the Irish Times. No, going, no, oh, she's God. not a minister anymore. She, well, she was. She was. Was, was yeah. yeah. Um, and the head of the Senate who who campaigned against the Senate wrote a letter um, and, uh, saying, I don't know what planet you're living on, but on my planet, I did all this stuff. And at the end of the letter, basically called me a Tory, which was a twist, <laughs> um, said that I had more in common with Tories than 
I think I do or something. Anyway, I was just looking at it going, whatever, I'm not even going to deal with that. Um, I think that there's a, there seems to be a concerted effort from Fine Gael to rebut everything. To annoy me. To, but not just you, but they just seem to be writing all these, like every day there's this long letter going, I saw, I actually want to correct this article. Like yeah, so, well, so any, well, it's not like they're doing anything in government. But anyway, um, the next thing that happened then was Kieran Cannon, uh, who's a TD from Galway, went on Twitter going, yeah, this letter, basically, I'm paraphrasing here, um, yeah, this letter really resonated with me and said that my attempts to uh, create class divisions were pathetic, which I thought was really insulting. First of all, I'm not out here creating class division. <laughs> I'm like a journalist. And calling somebody's work pathetic is, you know, that's like really, really derogatory. Shortly after that, of course, he was uh, bigging up journalists in his uh, latest mission to have working journalists appointed to the Future of Media campaign. So whatever. I, it's for me, you know, I, I, um, well, I was talking about this on the Patrick Frayne byline uh, episode this week, which you should really listen to everyone if you haven't listened to yet. And we were talking about like the stress of journalism, the stress of deadlines and the anxiety that causes. And I think um, the only... The only time I'm ever like, this is actually annoying me now is not when it's like, honest to God, like not when it's crazy trolls or people being sexist or homophobic or just saying mad shit at you or like right, like far right people or whatever. That just, I'm just like, whatever, you can just totally discredit that. And I've grown my thick skin and all that. It's actually the Finnegale street team and the centrist bros because the snideness of their commentary and the fact that they like most of the time put their names to it. Um, it's just really, it's really, uh, it just annoys me because I just, I, I guess I just don't like people. It's not that it's not about me. I just don't like people, um, being so close minded, I guess. And, seeing like not taking the validity of what I'm saying which is obvious that it is very difficult for people who are having their pup cut and who are really you know struggling and and not just people who are on the pup but people who are on the dole generally and then when you actually are trying to stand up for people going this is this is really mean and and there's no reason to be doing this that you're then attacked by politicians well here's a devil's advocate that's the worst word you want to hear isn't it not a devil's advocate. What about a namaste centre person? You've said that you think it's mean she did that. And she's like, well, I don't think it's mean because we installed a first and we haven't got enough money to pay for everyone. So we're yeah. trying to make it work the best. So in the middle, then the shots are getting fired of calling people names and stuff, which is is where the kind of nastiness is. So maybe there's a column A, column B in the middle. Oh, I think people are absolutely entitled to their opinion and you're and you're completely entitled to say that you refute something where I would draw the line personally. Um, and this is not just about me. I, I do draw the line at, I think, what can be uh, characterized as personalized attacks against journalists. I think that you can say you can you can tear something apart that somebody wrote without then calling them Tory. Or you could say, yeah, I, you know, yeah, you know, I disagree with what you say without saying that somebody is pathetic or that their work is pathetic or characterizing their work as pathetic. So, you know, we do look, I obviously give plenty of people in plenty of political parties a hard time in my writing, but they're elected representatives, you know, and the, and the decisions that they're making are having massive impacts on people's lives. And, you know, it is the it is the media without sounding too like lofty or spotlight or something. It is the media and the journalist jobs to hold power to account. Politicians um, aren't beyond, uh, you know, taking criticism and harsh criticism sometimes, too. I just feel that like that's that's a system and that's a political party. And those are people who are in really powerful positions. The converse of that which is a political party and a political machine, either, um, you know, whether it's just cascading online or whether it's intentional, turning their criticism onto an individual, which in this case is happens to be me, which, you know, happens not seldomly. Um, it, it, it just feels 
I don't know. It, it, it takes up my, it took up a lot of my energy and headspace today just being irritated by that because like I'm one person and they're in government. <laughs> also, it wasn't that, it wasn't that major. But what I, what I, what I do think for what I found and I find this interesting that it's often like the low level snide um, remarks that impact me never the like really heightened crazy insults anyway well here's my flipping the dial on it maybe it was actually a compliment because essentially they are Tories themselves and that's what they aspire to I mean I don't think they see I don't think people in Fine Gael for the most part see themselves as Tories I think that they see themselves as you know Pascal Donoghue um tweeted the letter that Regina Doherty wrote as well. Like, I think they see themselves as like really good people doing good work and trying to do the best that they can. The point that I was making in my article that I wrote about the pup was about how people in Fine Gael view themselves as factory setting Irish people who are just doing this stuff and they're not taking into account um, the ideology that they are propagating which they might not be able to see. I totally understand that. It's very difficult to like self-examine, but a people outside see it. It's often much easier to um, analyze something when you're not it in the same way that like, you know, people of color know way more about white people than white, like than, than we do as white people, me and you, or, you know, like women can tell you a lot about men uh, and, you know, queer people can tell you a lot about straight people. Like you, you often have that outsider perspective. So this stance that Fine Gael are taking that like, oh, well, you know, we're just normal, good people doing this stuff. And, you know, don't criticize us like we're doing our best for Ireland is just such an interesting shift in that they're trying to leverage this empathic, um, you know, stance, which is totally contrary to the outcomes of their policies. So so there's a bit of a Finnegal tears thing going on. And I do think that more broadly, because they are having this existential moment where they kind of got trashed in the election, yet they still ended up in government. And obviously loads of people really don't like Finnegal. You know, like read the, the passion of the of of the sentiments opposed to them is very heightened. Um, there obviously is this kind of moment where they're simultaneously being like, well, actually, we're just, you know, good people doing good stuff um, and, and not self-examining why they are in this party or what this party actually means or what this party has actually done to the country over the past 10 years. And then also attacking people. And then they're putting out this, you know, tweet today about Sinn Féin, uh, which is like Sinn Féin are two-faced and blah, blah, blah. And it's time everyone saw it. And it's like, you can't have it all these ways. You can't take this stance of being like, you know, ultimately we're just like sound people from the burbs trying to do the best for our country. And then everybody else going, you just took 50 quid off me for no fucking reason. And I, um, you know, on my knees. So anyway, I think this really interesting. I think the psychology of it is really interesting. I think that, um, the stance is interesting. I think there is some kind of pivoting going on with regards to what kind of vibe they want to project about themselves. But you can't you can't really have it every way every way. And it is very obvious to me, even in like conversations with Finnegal politicians, you know, that there is an absence of self examination with regards to their ideology. I mean, I thought it was really interesting our episode with Kate O'Connell, right? Hmm. Like who's who. Um, I know, and I know actually, you know, some of these people who, who some of our like amazing listeners were pissed off that we were having a Fine Gael politician on this podcast. And like, for me, it's like, I profoundly disagree with loads and loads of Kate's politics. And I'm not a fan of the party that she's in, but I want to know like why she gravitated towards this party and what her political life is like and what she believes in. And and I want to know that about every like there's plenty of people in Fine Gael who I'll like if I see them, you know, when you used to be able to socialize or like at a gig or at an event or at something like in Lancer House, you'd have a conversation with. Absolutely fine. Um, and then I do I also have to turn around and be often critical in a newspaper and I can then go you should be able to go and then talk to people afterwards. And that's totally grand. I understand the game. I understand um, civility. I understand that I listen, nobody, 
needs to talk to me about like being, you know, like precious or fragile or anything. I am like, you know, Andrea, I am not that like at all. You know, it is most of this shit is water off a duck's back. I just think that when you are saying certain things like calling someone a Tory, for example, like there are certain things that are a bit beyond the pale. I mean, personally, it makes a change from the Finnegal machine, uh, you know, calling me a shinner every other week. Uh, now it's a Tory. So I don't know what it'll be next week. Maybe a blue shirt. Who knows? Anyway, moving on. That was very, very self-indulgent. Apologies. Um, I'm not being a victim here. I understand the rough and tumble of it all. I just, uh, you know, calling someone a Tory in a, in a letter to a newspaper is a bit much. Okay. Anyway, Google wants its workers to get back to Ireland. Get back to the mines. Um, that's not fair. Some of my best friends work in Google. Some of my best... <laughs> jokes. Although I do have friends in Google. Um, this is a weird stat that I think Davy Stockbrokers or someone came out with. That 30% of people who work in Google left during Ireland and now they want them to come back because tax, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that would be like the 7,000 people I think who work for Google. That seems like a lot. Google are like, it's no way that much. But I think it's interesting about how are these companies going to function when the offices aren't really open and people are working from home and everyone's just like, fuck this, I'm going to live in Lisbon for a year. <laughs> um, so that was a story. But interesting uh, <laughs> that it's for tax reasons they want them to come back, as usual. Come back to Ireland for tax reasons. Um, much more interestingly... Twink, who just, I mean, she's just the person who keeps on giving. Um, her parrot has been banned from Super Value and Knockline in Dublin. Usually she brings the parrot uh, shopping with her. Um, but uh, no more. Sorry, the quote that was given, is it, I'm not sure which article it was in, but it was there. Let me just, the quote, it's like stopping the Queen of England with her corgis. <laughs> Amazing. Love it. She's just the best person in Ireland. Like, I cannot get enough of Twink. Um, yes, agree. This is her uh, pet cockatoo, Timberlake. Um, and uh, he used to be able to be in the supermarket, I think. But the manager, the manager of the SuperValue um, said that, uh, no, it is a no pet zone. Um, obviously, unless you're a guide dog. Um she did lose one of her dogs earlier this year. Uh, Peanut Sheridan uh, was the name of the dog. Um, Joe Rooney, the comedian, was telling the Indo that he was in a musical with Twink called Angel of Broadway and she would bring her cockatoo into rehearsals um, and the cockatoo would sit on Twink's shoulders. But eventually they had to take the cockatoo out because um, it was chirping and squawking during songs. And that was putting, putting the rest of the cast off. It sounds like they had to take the cockatoo out. Sounds a bit like the zip of the Mickey's shenanigans, doesn't it? Um, back in the myths of 2006, when that story broke, I was the reporter who had to ring Twink to inform her of the clip's existence. What did, like, obviously, come on. I do. She was uh, angry um, and uh, understandably so. Um right. And I think I'm trying to remember what she said. I remember just like trying to make the phone call being like, I just really don't want to make this call, but I just had to do it. I think she was just like, I don't care. They can put it on the World Wide Web 24 hours a day for all I care or something. I was like, that is how the internet works. So you've got that one right. Um, but yeah, I mean, iconic, iconic moment. Um, also in the state of the nation, the... Dem demolition of the O'Reilly House in uh, in um, Herbert Park, 40 Herbert Park, the O'Reilly, one of the 1916 uh, leaders. And uh, also Mancon McGon, who was on our podcast recently. Uh, that's his great, great, great granddad, great granddad. Um, so, yeah, and it just kind of brings into focus again stuff around uh, planning around demolition and also the city council had put a preservation order on it but on board Planoda had already 
um, set, allowed it to be demolished. I sometimes get really confused. Like, No, I think the uh, city council sent a letter to go and see it because they were going to, but they voted that they were going to keep it, but they didn't have the order in, in time. Uh-huh. And then the people who owned the Herbert Park Hotel demolished it at 6.30 a.m. before anyone was up or whatever. And then it was just gone before mm. anyone progress so it's like you've kind of got the sneakiness of people who don't value like they're like it's an eyesore etc it will get in the way of the development and then there was loads of people going we have to make room for new buildings to come up because you have to knock down an old building to do that and nobody was in charge of its upkeep and it was falling apart who does that lie to them why are we not putting the investment the time into caring for these places that could be landmarks that could drive tourism that can give us our heritage that can uh, have character that can build a city that isn't just uh, a ring fort of hotels indeed and uh, that's the state of the nation and now we're going to be talking about the American presidential election and a debate that was very very hard to watch So Catherine Zappone left Ireland earlier this year for the US. Um, She is one of the many people uh, hoping that Joe Biden gets elected. She's um, getting stuck in on the campaign over there. She's very much in campaign mode. Um, Catherine Zappone, uh, for Irish listeners, you will know as a former Minister for Children and Youth Affairs. Uh, She's a former Irish senator. Um, She was one of the architects and instigators of the marriage equality campaign in Ireland when her and Anne-Louise Gilligan, her wife, uh, took a case uh, that that instigated the marriage equality movement here, um, and she's currently in America. She's volunteering on the on the uh, Biden Harris campaign. So we are going to her live now in New York City. What have you been up to in the US? Yes. Well, you know, uh, uh, just uh, briefly, um, four years ago when I was uh, at a U.S. embassy watch party in Dublin, uh, when Hillary Clinton failed to break through the ultimate glass ceiling, uh, you know, since then that night's really been haunting me. Um, And so in 2016, I really had publicly declared my support for and voted for Clinton, but this time I knew that voting was not going to be enough. So I have returned here now to the that's my other home. Um, I, I'm joining, I have joined a huge grassroots movement, which is now underway, to, to defeat Trump and to get Joe Biden and Kamala Harris into the White House. Um, and Una, I, I really do believe that there's a lot of momentum uh, that my fellow Democrats have been really emboldened and energized, especially by uh, both the uh, the Democratic Convention, Joe Biden did a super job, and then, of course, the nom- nomination of uh, Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, I am a lifelong member of the Democratic Party, and uh, so I'm here to uh, really pitch in and to do the best I can to support them getting elected. And what does that look like on a on a day to day basis for you then? Okay, well, uh, there's 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 a number of things. Uh, I suppose I first of all um, I'm involved with uh, effectively the. Um, all the other uh, volunteers throughout the country who receive their training for uh, phoning and texting and um, different people in different states, particularly the um, swing states, uh, they have have uh, the, the Democratic Party has had great uh, digital 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 training and a virtual office, which they call Slack, and then you use what they call a dim dialer, and you're put on the phone effectively to people in um, you could be in any state or a couple states during 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 one uh, hour or a couple of hours when you're trying to get them to see which way are they going to vote and encourage them to vote for Biden and Harris. Uh, secondly, I've been in working with some of the folks that are part of the out for Biden initiative. So they this is part of the campaign, but it's particularly uh, focused and targeted on LGBT uh, plus. Uh, people in the United States to get them uh, to support uh, Kamala and and Joe uh, because they've been such great uh, champions of LGBT plus rights in in the United States. Um, And 
you know, maybe just in relation to Joe, I'll, I'll say quickly, I mean, he was in favor of the freedom to marry here in this in this country and was really one of the key people who influenced Barack Obama in his change of mind in that regard and went out publicly to speak about that before Barack was ready, Barack was ready to. And then, of course, Kamala Harris, you know, she's she's been an advocate for a, a, a lesbian, gay, a transgender and bisexual rights for years. Um, and so it's so they have a whole um, dedicated group of people, and I'd be one of them, who are uh, trying to ensure that our, our people get out and actually vote for them. So um, that's another another part of, of, of my work. And then, uh, and then thirdly, uh, commenting really back to the Irish people, as I'm doing with you now, and also uh, other uh, other um, broadcasting outlets, to try to ensure and encourage any of the Irish diaspora to uh, vote for uh, the Democratic ticket. Mm, good stuff. I mean, yes. la- last night's de- uh, Wednesday night or Tuesday night's debate. Sorry, I'm kind of losing track of time here. <laughs> Tuesday night's debate was tough. Um, yes. One of yes. the key takeaways, I suppose, is really how hard it is to debate Donald Trump, um, yes. considering he's so chaotic. I mean, how can Biden... Yes get through the next series of debates when they are so bad tempered. I mean, that whole, you know, the old adage of, um, you know, you get into, I don't know, wrestle with the pig, you both end up in the muck uh, springs to mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I first of all, I agree very much with you that it was a, it was very chaotic. Uh, but I think that... Um, you know, for a lot of the debate, but I think that came from clearly the the character of the president, uh, and that he displayed his chaotic behavior on the stage, and I think that was to his detriment. That's the first thing. Um, secondly, though, even in spite of that, I do think that Joe Biden was able to uh, delim- deliver a number of his key messages, uh, particularly in relation to the economy in relation to climate change, um, clearly in relation to the whole issue of race. Um, And with each, um, when when he referred to each of these uh, dimensions or themes of his presidency, he always spoke about the plan that he had. He referred to a couple of the details of the plan uh, as distinct. So he did, he, he was able to do that in spite of the chaos and the interruption and the fact that the president would not follow the rules no matter what. Um, uh, and uh, at the same time, I uh, the second thing I want to say is about Biden uh, is that I what I was concerned, and I know other Democrats were concerned, is that somehow Trump would get under his skin. But he, I, he, I don't think he did that. Uh, he, he did not. He did not get under his skin. And in fact, in fact, um, there was a moment, um, you know, in in the debate where he was um, speaking about. Um, it was the first the first thing that they were discussing, mm. and he, you know, he looked at him, and they were just they were just coming to a conclusion, and he said, "Well." because he, he had already de- started to demonstrate a lot of that chaos and interruption. And he said, well, this is so unpresidential. That was a really productive segment. Keep yapping, man. And, and Trump, Trump responds to him, that was a bit sarcastic. So as far as I was concerned, you know, he got, uh, Biden got under Trump's skin. Mm-hmm. But, 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 uh, but Trump did not get under Biden's skin. And then, of course, when it was... Uh, when he did, you know, we were concerned, particularly maybe if the issue of his sons came up, and they did, and he was speaking about uh, Bo and um, uh, uh, Joe, sorry, um, Hunter. Trump, 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 yeah, and, and Hunter, correct, but, and Trump says to him, well, I didn't know Biden, uh, sorry, I didn't know Bo, um, but I did, I, I, I know Bo, uh, Hunter, and, and sure, he took drugs, and, you know, that was when Don, uh, Biden said, he just looked straight into the camera at the American people, and he said, yeah, he did. He did. But he he's recovered, and I'm so proud of him. Uh, and I really do think that was, again, another example where he not only did he not get under his skin, but he was able to speak directly uh, to the American people, uh, Joe Biden, um, and speak out of the experience that he has, uh, the family experience, and how I think and demonstrate he can be, uh, mm. and he is a great leader.
It's so hard, though, isn't it? I mean, you've been in in debates where things get heated uh, with people who oppose, you know, your your worldview and and even sometimes your identity. I mean, how do you deal with someone who is utterly opposed to that? Like, well, I think again, he he demonstrated that he was able to do that. He didn't get caught into his. Um, uh, I, I suppose any of his uh, conspiracy theories or um, he didn't, you know, he may have responded a couple of times when he when he knew Trump was trying to distract him, but then he pivoted back to um, some of the key things that he wanted to say to the American people. So, for example, both at the beginning and the end of the debate, he looked again straight out into into the living rooms across the nation and said, what you need to do is you need to go and vote and vote early um, and, uh, you know, ensure that your voice is heard. He said this in relation to, of course, this, first of all, the Supreme Court nomination. Um, and, you know, Trump was talking a lot about, well, I am the president and I have the right because the Constitution gives me the right and I was the one who was elected and Biden says back we are now in the middle of an election the election has already begun so I think there are at times where he doesn't get caught into if he's trying to grab him emotionally um, and then move towards still trying to deliver his particular message. And frankly, Una, I mean, I think, I mean, I watched, you know, we all, you, you watched it and it was a long debate, but he did that a number of times. And I have read the commentary. I've seen it, of course. I'm aware of it. But I, I do think Biden did manage to deliver um, many times throughout that 90 minutes, even in spite of what happened. Mm. Um, and that, that, those, are, those are a couple of examples. This is such an extraordinary campaign for a number of reasons, not least the context in which it's occurring. But it strikes me like you're, you're an experienced campaigner, an experienced politician. It strikes me that it must be very difficult to hold on to um, a semblance of... I suppose normality is the wrong word, but like when when it does feel that in so many ways the rules do not apply, that this is so extraordinary. How is the campaign keeping itself together? Because it's kind of, op- both campaigns are kind of almost operating in two different universes in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yes, that is exactly correct. They are, <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, every so often I even ask myself, and we chat with some of I chat with some of my colleagues, and it, it you know, you just wonder, um, how is it that people can continue to support Trump? How can he continue to appeal to his base, especially for example, you know, the devastating um, article that the New York Times uh, uh, did uh, two days ago now, I think, in terms of an outlining how he is a tax dodger, that he paid so much less tax or, you know, than even our our firefighters and our teachers and our nurses, um, and that it's just not fair. And when some people game the system, others have to pay for it. So, you know, this is all revealed, discussed at length, and you wonder, how is it that some people are still willing to support him? Um, but I have spoken, you know, with some of these people on the phone and that they, you know, there are people out there who do still admire uh, tax dodgers or, yeah, he was able to game the system and don't don't see how this is, um, it does impact others, especially those who are middle class or lower income folks who have to then pay you know, pay pay up, um, and and in order to support the various public services. So there is, um, there 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 are some different universes operating, but there are enough people, Una, I think, who are, um, you know, absolutely not with Trump and, and are trying to, again, you may have heard several of the commentators saying here that the question is not so much for them whether they'll vote Biden or Trump, whether they'll vote at all. And so, for us uh, in the Democratic Party, so much of what we're doing is really the planning to vote, vote early, um, supporting those who do go out to vote in every which way we can, because we really do believe that the more people who get out to vote, the more votes there will be for Joe Biden. And this, of course, then is why Trump has this extraordinary uh, program and his people and will, uh, you know, supported by the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, uh, this uh, in relation to 
blocking um, access to voting, uh, to raising queries about the um, uh, the validity of the mail-in vote, even though his head of the FBI says there's no evidence whatsoever of voter fraud. So uh, for us, I think we know that it's really all about getting the people out to vote. And then if I may, just one other thing is, is too, is that having that team of lawyers throughout the country uh, ready uh, to uh, go to the courts and to win when there's uh, litigation in terms of whether we have enough ballot boxes or how long we have to wait till the votes come in, et cetera, et cetera. All of that's going on right now and we're fighting in the courts right now. Mm. I, I do fear a repeat of, of we'll be learning new term whatever the 2020 version of hanging chads is and, and, and those kind of things. But I wanted to ask you before you go, you know, you're somebody who's worked for progressive change all of your life, be that through kind of education equality and access and of course marriage equality and other um, issues as well. And, and as a um, as a feminist generally and, and all of those things. This is like a dark moment for, for your, your um, second home or your first home or whatever you, you yeah. want to call America. <laughs> yeah. How do you maintain positivity? I mean, obviously you're, you're an optimist and we should all be optimists, yes. but the positivity yes. part of it, like from your own perspective, a lot of people mm-hmm. are looking on from afar mm-hmm. and seeing a lot of darkness in, in the American society and psyche that, you know, will still be there no matter who, who um, gets voted in. Yes. yes. What are yes. your thoughts around that? Well, I mean, there's there's two things I'll say, Erna, uh, and I think it's an excellent question. And the first thing is is that I suppose uh, being effectively, um, a, you know, a child of uh, uh, you know the, the 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 civil rights movement um, and seeing the effectiveness of that. Uh, being what one of the things that helps me keep going now, <clears throat> excuse me, is is the way in which the commitment um, across the board in terms of racial identity and background to the Black Lives Matter movement, which you hear about, I know there, you see some of it, but to see it much closer up here is, is quite, um, it does help the maintain the spirit. Um, and having said that, as you indicate, it is, it is a, it, these are dark times. There's no question about it. But I think the second thing I will say is that because of work, working on the campaign, both in the maybe the traditional way of, of you know, making the phone calls, et cetera, but also having a bit, a little bit more closeness to some of the people working within headquarters and understanding some of the strategies that they are right now, I know they are being proactive and thinking about the next steps that we need to be doing because we can see where Trump is going. And I've kind of seen that unfold over the last, let's say the last, especially the last three or four weeks, uh, that when he pulls this or that, that they are ready to respond to that. Like when I say there's a there's an army of lawyers throughout the country being supported by the Democratic Party to, you know, go to the state courts um, to challenge uh, the Republicans in trying to block free access to voting that you you don't see that as much in in ireland but that's mm. i know that that's that is actually going on and the the final this is so i think they're being they've learned very quickly how to be strategic and proactive but you don't see that a lot in public and the last thing i'd say is that in this in this regard i suppose i'd say you know i'm not i'm not necessarily an op optimistic nor am i pessimistic but i'm absolutely determined that we can win and that we will win uh and that the 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 route to that especially is getting the vote out getting it counted properly and ensuring that the results are fair good on you listen Catherine spawn thank you so much for for joining us um and well done on getting stuck in i'm sure we'll be talking to you uh, again okay. before november thanks una and congratulations on all you're doing in your podcast series it's great to be part of it thank you So uh, Catherine Zappone as well is hosting a really, really interesting um, event that's happening online with our pals in GCN on Monday. 
Um, if you go to GCN.ie, you will get the deets, but it's the In and Out Festival. And basically, it's going to be live streamed on YouTube at 5 p.m., Monday, 5th of October. And Catherine Zapone is going to be hosting a panel of guests who are going to be discussing the ramifications of this American election uh, on global LGBTQ rights. Uh, some of the, the guests are amazing, by the way. Mary McAleese um, and Evan Wolfson, Wolfson who, who people kind of in, in marriage quality movements will know uh, as the founder of Freedom to Marry. Um, there's Joe Hoadley, who is state rep serving Kalamazoo, which is one of my favorite places to say. Um, uh, Christine Quinn, um, the president, chief executive officer of WIN. Uh, that's the formerly Women in Need, which is a big uh, shelter, social services, supportive housing for homeless families in New York City. You may remember Christine Quinn um, as a member of the New York City Council and speaker of the council. She was the first woman and the first only gay speaker in New York City uh, history. She's also the vice chair of the New York State Democratic Party. So um, political nerds, queer political nerds, American political nerds. Um, this is going to be a really, really interesting conversation. Catherine Zapone, Mary McAleese, Evan Wolfson, Christine Quinn, and our friend from Kalamazoo, Joe Hoadley. GCN's YouTube and Facebook channels Monday, 5th of October at 5pm. That is going to be great. And like just an antidote to the bananas American broadcast coverage as well. So definitely, definitely check that out. Okay, Andrea, what's getting in the sea? Getting in the sea this week. Now, on the face of it, it's actually, you'd be like, really? That's getting in the sea? So Leo V came out with an anti-ticket touting announcement. So far, so good. You're like, yeah, we don't want any ticket tidings. Um, I remember the, what did the Lizzo tickets sold out in like six seconds and then oh, they yeah. were like five million euro. Um, so obviously that's a good thing. But then the timing of it is a bit in bits. Like obviously the industries that are that are that that sell tickets for events are on their knees. They're begging and coming out with loads of working groups like the Epic Working Group and all the uh, live music industry, uh, gigs, events are all... Uh, crying out for support for their the crew members, the teams who put the events on, and they're not being supported. And there's been no kind of movement to support um, the actual industry. So then, when you come out with an anti-ticket telling announcement, you're literally like, "There's no fucking tickets to anything at the moment." Um, that's bad enough, right? So you're like, oh, "Fuck off." I'm a bit annoyed. But then you get to the fact that Mars Quinlevin. Um, had his anti-ticket touting bill pushed back so much uh, when Fine Gael were in power. Um, in fact, it was blocked in its first stage in 17 by the Neathanista. The second stage was delayed by the Fine Gael government uh, in May 17. It was referred to a select committee in uh, Feb 18. Then the Joint Directors Committee published a result in October 18 um, and the money message was refused by the Taoiseach who is now the Taoiseach. So, the obvious reaction to this would be obviously if we're going to be protecting, t- well, the first thing is this is not the first time that uh, Leo V has come out with somebody else's um, plans. Like, so now he's f- focusing on ticketing, but he came out with like literally Pierce Doherty's insurance campaign. And you're literally like, why are you robbing everyone's uh, ideas uh, uh, to try and win favor? That's obviously why, but like the timing of it is all a bit weird. But the other thing about it all is if you're having this like ticketing is bad and his uh, tweet was really funny and it's like we need to stop this but if you're protecting tickets from the free market and saying like um usually the line is always like we we let the free market decide but you're just making a decision now that the free market is not going to decide about tickets we're going to make sure that it doesn't actually decide and protect it why are we not doing the same for houses and homes to be protected under the free market and protected from greedy landlords and what is happening to our country and people becoming homeless because uh, rents are so extortionate that we can uh, control it. So maybe it would be more timely to do that. Noel Rock is mad into the ticket touting vibe, isn't he? Is this not his big... uh, big... Yeah, he got got a CC on the tweet. Yeah, this is his big big ticket item, you might say. (laughs) It's so... It's just so ill-timed and just so screaming for, please think I'm cool. Look at me putting tickets out. I think that one of the things that was said was that they wanted it 
they wanted it in legislation um, before the Euros or something next year or something like that, they rescheduled. But like, I feel like this is one of these things you just do in the background because there's no gigs on at the moment and, you know, nobody's buying fucking tickets to anything. So you just kind of do this in the background because this is just really like tidying up legislative things, waving flags about wins that are, would you demand, I mean, if I worked in the live event sector, you know, if I was working in any of the venues around town and, and they're, I'd say just this, be like, like are you for them. real? <laughs> Come on! You, do you know what you might say? You might say, "Get in the fucking sea!" But like, obviously, this has form because that graphic they put out, taking credit for literally everything in the world, oh, yeah. is like, we're t- we like, it feels like they sat down and had a brainstorm. And they're like, "Do you know what? Let's just like people retweet it. They don't look into it. Why don't we just say we take credit for everything, and then people will retweet it and will look great." I think that's. A strategy. We need to stop giving out about Finnegan now because I'm going to have to deal with centrist bros on Twitter for the rest of my life whose main interests are, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I'm not, not profiling in it. I'm not profiling. <laughs> but you know, when it's people's like, I often find that like the vast majority of people who like really go for me have Irish rugby players in their profile pics. And like, I fucking love rugby. So that annoys me as well. Stop wrecking the middle class pleasures I grew up with just because I'm not a fan of your party. No more than any party. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. Back, 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 back away from that argument now. Now, coming up immediately, it's bananas. Okay, this is like short and sweet. I just can't get my head around the fact that like not just one person, but loads of people are getting on board with the idea that it might be time to bring in the army to stop the young students in Galway from sitting on the pier having a drink. <laughs> bring in the army. Are you actually bana- like, it's so bananas on so many levels. It's like, well, we need the support of the army for the guards and the guards are coming out going, are you, are you joking? No, we don't. Because like we could have a hundred guardy and we're not going to arrest 400 people because they're all outside. Are we going to drive them inside? That's even worse. You've brought them to go away under the pretense that they have college and like to get their money for their, for their accommodation. Um, and now we're going to bring in the army. We're in the army now. And like, like, if you pull back from those pictures, a lot of those people are in groups of two or four, socially distanced from other groups, having a drink outside. Like, okay, I'm not condoning like the big group that ended up there. Not cool, guys. But like, people are just trying to do, to have connections and see people in a socially distant way, in a safe way. And then they were all moved on. Obviously, they're going to be in a group then. Like, you're saying to go outside in groups, then you're like saying, bring in the fucking army. Come on, lads. It's absolutely bananas. Bananas. That is bananas. Bananas. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't get over it. And the kept being restated over and over and someone else would come out and go, actually, do you know what? We need to bring in the army. The army! They're young people sitting there having a can. Oh, or maybe like some book fast or something, which you fuck off. My gosh. I'm not able and now, and now, now for our, we're in a real ranty mood today. I'm concerned now that people think that I'm genuinely like being precious or egotistical about being slagged off. Do you think people will think that? Yeah, because like, <laughs> like I don't think people who listen to us will, but like, obviously uh, somebody else can to listen to go, oh my God, she's so fucking annoyed and upset about you because of calling her a Tory. Anyway, we're not going back to that. <laughs> Now for our fave bits. What are your fave bits, Andrea? Oh my God, I have so many fave bits. The first one really worries me that you have written down here. Why? What is it? Beverly Hills Teens. <laughs> what is that? Oh my God, you need to get, oh my God, I'm so glad to bring this into your life. So I had a hangover and when I have a hangover, 
I watched cartoons. It's a cartoon with Bianca in it. They have a car that has a swimming pool in it. They're all in LA. And it is the gassest TV show in the world. It's so beyond its time. Like it's, it was out when I was a child. So like 10 years oh ago. Oh my God, I remember this. Aha. Uh-huh. The pink stretch car with the swimming pool in it. Yeah. Holy and shit. So it's so sardonic. It's so adult themed. It's so funny that even watching it now, you're like, this is so good. It taps into so many current issues, um, which proves that we live in a circular system of time and existence. But also, it's just a really good watch. It's on YouTube. Just put in Beverly Hills Teens. And Bianca is like the absolute cow in it. She's obviously the best character. It is so good. And I can't wait to get feedback from our people who listen and who go and watch and are like, you're so fucking right. It's brilliant. Um, your other, your next five, you have many fave bits this week. Oh my God. I started this week and I was like, oh, I have no fave bits because all I did was have a hangover. But it turns out I'm actually in the, in the vibe of fave bits and not ranting. I'm like the antithesis to you this week. My other fave bits. <laughs> really lifting my spirits. <laughs> is because I actually didn't tune into anything that was going on in the world for at least four days. So that's why I'm literally like, yeah, my fave bits are one-sided toast. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) But it is something that I've had scraps with over the weekend. With a lot of people on my Instagram, because I put up one-sided toast is actually the best. Um, So you do it and then you put the butter on on the toasted side and then it's delicious. But Loads of people did not believe me and now they've tried it and I've gotten videos back from people going, do you know what? You're fucking right. So I'd like everyone to try one side of toast and just put it to bed because I've, because then this guy who does, uh, what's his name? Something Greg's amazing spaces on channel four. He put up a post today about one-sided toast I was like oh my god the one-sided toast movement is happening he was like somebody put up something and why is Sting always saying that you're not an Englishman if you don't like one-sided toast and he was like yeah I do it's the best thing in the world I was like how mad is that that one-sided toast is a conversation I've been having all weekend and now it's spreading I didn't influence that conversation but the fact that we don't we all have one conscious thought somewhere I think that what you're pointing to here is is the collective consciousness is being raised. A hundred percent. With regards to the one-sided toast. Yeah. I I really went deep this weekend. Uh, (laughs) The next thing is uh, Lux Alma uh, did a fab cover of Anya. She was literally like, how can anyone do a cover of Anya? But she did and it was fab. So go and look at it. It's on YouTube and Instagram and all those places. Another fave bit, Joanne McNally, comedian, gas bitch, absolute gas trout, was on Jonathan Ross's fucking comedy club on ITV on Saturday night. Fab. What a fucking boss. And he's been tweet. He went on Loose Women. He's like, one of the stars of the show was Joanne McNally. And then... He even was tweeting going, we're obsessed with Joanne. I want to be in her gang and I want to be in her WhatsApp group. So I was like, you fucking don't because she's bananas. But I love her. Uh, Then the Queens of Quarantine are back. Uh, Davina and Victoria. Um, A bit of drag in your life if you can't go to drag, which you can't. So you can buy tickets to go and watch Queens of Quarantine on their page. And then finally, this is my actual fave bit. So Zoe Redmond is doing this Lady on the Rock project. And you might have seen it. I've seen it so much in my feed. And then I was walking around town. I saw loads of paste-ups of it. Um, she posed in this amazing uh, shoot um, where she became the Lady on the Rock. And it's uh, gorgeous and in loads of different places. And I kind of wanted to delve into it a bit more. Um, and apparently it has gone slowly unravel into different work um, based on The Lady on the Rock. And what it's going to be is an art piece about where The Lady on the Rock originates, what she stands for and the power of working class women, which I am very excited to see this unfold. Bob, into it. I have one fave bit this week, but it's a really great one. Uh, Catherine O'Hara in Shit's Creek. So Shit's Creek is one of those shows that everybody's always talking, saying that you should watch and then it won the Emmys. Um, Apparently you have to wait till episode two of season two to get into it because the first season is absolutely shit. Oh, I don't think it's shit at all. Oh yeah, I've been like seeing loads of people say this. I don't watch things so I have no idea. Um, 
Well, I, I I was told that you need to like struggle through the first couple of episodes, but then it gets good. And often that's the case. I mean, like with iconic shows such as Scandal, I for example. I don't understand the logic of that. I just can't. Like, why do you go through shit to get to good shit? Just make it all good. Yeah. So utopia is the desire. The reality is shit's creek. <laughs> Currently, anyway, Catherine O'Hara as Moira in Schitt's Creek is one of, she's just acting the hell out of this part. And it's one of those things where I've just been so delighted to watch because it's just an escape. You know, it's just funny and amazing, wild, brilliant, ridiculous acting. And she's fantastic. Normally, I'm not really, I mean, I, like, obviously I love comedy but I find it sometimes hard to kind of engage um, with a series. Hard to huh? enjoy funny things. <laughs> I find it hard to, you know, enjoy myself or have fun or find joy in life. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, but I just am really loving this. And um, obviously, the, everybody's living in a global pandemic. Everybody is stressed. I'm stressed. You're stressed, probably. Not anymore. Uh, you're not stressed anymore. A lot of people listening are stressed. Everybody doing their job at all sorts of different levels are being stre- are stressed. And it's and I think when you're stressed, when stressful things happen, it just like blows up in a way that it shouldn't. That's what happened to me this week, anyway. But and and so it's like no, we'll actually just like detach yourself a little bit and um, step away from any kind of stressy triggers and watch Catherine O'Hara and Shit's Creek because she is amazing. So I'm so we glad that's very, in my life. We are very much veering into Sunday Suit uh, territory, which is another reminder to watch. This, watch. Maybe we should watch the Sunday Suit, listen to the Sunday Suit. Oh, we could do a little... No, I don't actually. I, I mean, I don't like doing any kind of Zoom calls or Zoom meetings or Zoom talks. I'm doing a Zoom... There's a Zoom talk I'm doing coming up. And honestly, I think it's the last one I'm going to do. I really enjoyed it because the guests were amazing. But I just, I don't know how people are doing all these talks. I have to do a Q&A with the Denver Film Festival tomorrow. Oh, wow. End. Nice. Um, we're now just getting into our off mic uh, conversation here. So we should, prob- we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> this is a podcast, is it? Are we not having our weekly catch up? What annoyed you this weekend? Cool. Right. <laughs> Jesus, this week's tuna chicken roll. Uh, Disciples, 48 hours. What an absolute banger. I would recommend listening to it at least six times in a row um, for its pure joy. Fab. Okay, namaste, motherfuckers. I've been Andrea. I've been Una. This is United Ireland. And that uh, was the US election. The US election uh, with our brilliant, brilliant input from Catherine Zapone. See you next week. I can see the color in these white walls. I can see the color. There's no black, there's no white. We 
48 hours, 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 48 hours